You are listening to The 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day. We study God's Word, and then we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing with this life that God's given us. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. I invite you to check us out at soh.church. Download our free mobile app. We've got a digital Bible on there, so you you always have the word in your pocket. Uh, We've got a great online community that you can converse with and all of our teachings. If you're listening anywhere where you get your podcasts, like, share, subscribe, turn on your notifications. We don't want you to miss anything as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. I hope you are doing great this morning. We are continuing again, Matthew chapter 24, and I said this at the outset, but for those of you listening on the podcast platforms, I will say it again. If you are just jumping on and it's your very first episode, we have laid a lot of foundation. So I'm not telling you not to listen to this episode, definitely do it, but you may have some questions. So here's what I'll say. If you have a specific question about Matthew 24 and kind of the angle that we're coming in, uh, or perspective is a better word, that we're coming in on, then I suggest you go back maybe like four or five episodes, maybe even six, seven episodes back into Matthew 23, because Matthew 23 goes right into Matthew 24. Remember, we established that chapters and verses really didn't come into Scripture until the 1200s, right? So they're there for our benefit so we can organize Scripture, uh, but really we have to read the Bible in a way where we're realizing that one quote-unquote chapter goes into another, right? Um, And the concept of what's going on is not necessarily divided, right? So we see in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus talking in the temple and really going back and forth with the religious leaders. Beginning of Matthew 24, they're leaving the temple and the disciples point to the temple buildings and they're marveling at them. Jesus says, no, those temples are going to fall. That temple is going to fall, okay? No stone is going to be left unturned. That's where that terminology comes from. And that absolutely happened, right? Jesus's prophecy absolutely came to fruition. And we've been talking quite a bit about that. In 70 AD, that temple fell. And we've talked a whole lot about what transpired leading up to that and what it was like as well. And we're going to continue that today. We talked about the wars, right? You hear about this in Matthew chapter 24, that that there, there will be wars and rumors of wars as it leads up to this moment. Now, what moment is that? What Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24 is the end of the age. Actually, the disciples ask him three things, right? When are the temples going to fall? And what is the sign of your coming? And what is the end of the age? Okay, so we talked right in the beginning. That word end in there, right, that connects that sentence is a, is a conjunction, meaning those things happen have to happen at one time. So Jesus is is really now into what we call the Olivet Discourse, where he's talking about what to look for, for all of those three things to happen. Wars and rumors of wars, check. We talked about it. They had a lot of that in the first century. Widespread persecution, you know, from getting stoned in the streets to the Emperor Nero 
lighting Christians on fire in his garden, safe to say that they dealt with some real persecution. We talked about the gospel being preached all over the world, and we define that word world, right? That oikumene, the known inhabited earth, known inhabited world, and really how that was that word was used really to describe kind of the, the Roman Greco uh, region, right? And why was it so important for the Roman Greco region? Uh, because all of this stuff was taking place right there. Lastly, we talked about the abomination of desolation. Right. When it says it said when the abomination of desolation is is seen in the holy place. Right. Flee. Get out of there. Get out of there. And we talked about what that was. Okay. Anytime it was talked about abomination, it was uh, meaning idolatry. When idolatry was brought to the house of God, that was called even throughout Old, Old Testament times abomination. And what, was, what did Jesus say when he looked on Jerusalem? He says, your house is left desolate. When Rome came in and destroyed that temple, it annihilated everything. There was almost no survivors for those who clung to the temple, okay? So, again, I gave you a high-level overview. I probably went deeper than I expected, but I, I, I encourage you to go back because we really have been going through this kind of bit by bit, piece by piece. Well, we're going to continue with Matthew 24. We're going to be... Probably in verse 22 through 28, I may jump into 29, but that's going to really overlap with tomorrow's teaching. Tomorrow's teaching, we're really going to get into the type of language that Jesus begins to use and the type of language that we see uh, throughout different parts of Scripture. And this is one thing, too, that I want to encourage you to do when you're reading the Bible, okay, is to try to discern What's the what literary style you are reading? You say, well, what is what does that mean? Literary style. Well, the Psalms are songs and poetry. Okay, the Gospels, like this one, are the accounts of Jesus's ministry that the author is writing to send to a specific group of people. So Matthew is writing the what we call the Book of Matthew, and he's sending it to the Jewish believers. Right? If you read Luke, Luke is different because Luke, who was a uh, physician and a historian, is writing to a person named Theophilus who was a Gentile. So a lot of Luke is really focusing on showing the uh, evidence for Christ to the Gentile population. When you read those in that context, you say, huh, this makes a lot of sense, right? So we're in, in Matthew, where Matthew is really presenting to the Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah. And we've touched on this quite often. They, the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah, but they were looking for something different. And that's what we're going to, Jesus hits home today. It's a little bit, I don't want to say repetitive, but Jesus now three different times, this is the third time if I'm counting my head correctly, that Jesus warns them about false prophets. So let's get in, uh, let's read this, and then we'll dissect the text, so to speak. Now remember, we just got out of, actually, let me jump to that first, because I think I have the slide here. All right, hold on, where is it? Where is it? There we go. So again, I just, I'll touch on what we hit last time because I think it'll be helpful, right? When you see, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination of desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the rooftop go down and take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field get, go back and get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in the days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. You get the point, okay? Jesus is saying when you see all this stuff, flee to the mountains. Don't stick around because if you stick around, you're going to get killed, okay? And then he talked about, right, how, how terrible it will be for, the, for those who are pregnant, Right, And we, we recalled when Jesus is carrying the cross and all those women are crying for him, what did he say? He says, women, don't cry for me. Cry for you and your children. Why did he say that? Because it was that generation that was going to experience all of this. And when you start reading the scripture that way, it all begins to make sense. It becomes less and less sensible for us to take these scriptures and apply them to what we see in our newspapers. Right? So let's get back now to our reading. Matthew 22, 28. So Jesus just told them to flee. And now he says, in those days, and if those days, this is verse 22, had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, the elect are the believers, right? Those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, and I highlight that word, you. I do that quite a bit. Why? Because the you is not me and you in its direct sense. Again, I want to just stop the, Jason, you're telling me scripture is not for today? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But proper reading of scripture demands that we seek audience relevance. Who is Jesus talking to? Okay, so every time you hear you, you have to say, who is Jesus talking to? Physically, right there. Okay, you get the point. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days would be cut short. Okay, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. We see as the century is progressing and things are really starting to go down, right? Rome and, and the Jewish population are really clashing. We read the other day on how, uh, let me just go to the slide. This is from the historian um, and theologian, uh, George Peter Walford. He quotes this and he talks about how uh, Dosius the Samaritan, who had the boldness and assertion uh, that the, and to assert that he was a Messiah, right, while the, his disciple Simon Magus, the multitudes believed that he himself was the great power of God, there were people that were rising up. And we even see evidence that people were, I don't know if you want to say paid or persuaded to present themselves as a Messiah. Now, we have to point out this, that in that first century, Right. Remember, there's a misconception among the population 
the, the especially the Jewish and religious population of what the Messiah was supposed to be. It's the whole reason that they rejected Jesus. They rejected Jesus because they wanted a warrior king like David to help free them from Rome. Jesus had a different plan in mind. He was not looking to establish an earthly kingdom of just politics. Jesus was looking to establish a kingdom where what was on heaven presents itself on earth, where we can forgive one another, where, we, where there is healing, where there is deliverance, where there is not just the change of political power, but the changing of the heart individually. And most people wanted to reject that. So when we see that false messiahs are popping up, we're really seeing people pop up that are looking to say, I am the savior of Israel. Look at me. God has sent me to save you and to save you from the coming destruction. So uh, imagine you're a Christian during that time. And I mean, we get all, we get concerned about what's going on in the world now. Russia, Ukraine, China, uh, you know, the Middle East, you know, all this stuff that's going on. If, If it doesn't, you know, stir you up on the inside. I, I don't know what will. Obviously, we don't want war and we don't want bad things in, in the world. So if we feel that way now, chances are we would feel that way back then. So now this, and we here, if you're listening in America, you know, we're everything's kind of twice removed from us unless we have family members over there. But for them, we're talking about this is right in their uh, backyard. This is right right in front of them that all this is going on. So it, it, you would have to imagine that it would be that you could be easily swayed by someone who said, hey, the Christ is here. It's time. It's time. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. And Jesus is telling you, I'm warning you beforehand, you're going to see this. And especially if people are showing so- different signs and wonders and you say, well, how could that be? Well, we see all throughout Scripture, we see now people that operate in uh, a spiritual realm. Just because something is spiritual, not of this natural world, doesn't mean that it's of God. We should know this by now, right? Very easy to be swayed. And our heart that desires to be close not only to Jesus but to reap the benefits of that if we're not careful, can be swayed. So Jesus is telling them, I'm telling you beforehand, there are going to be people that say, there is the Messiah, there is the Christ. I'm telling you, it's not true. I'm going to continue. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Okay. So what is, what is he saying here? That they're going to hear, remember, he's saying, let me, t- if someone says to you, them, go out into the wilderness, there he is. Don't go. Don't go there. Or in the inner rooms. What's the inner rooms? Talking about in the temple, right? So whether in the wilderness or in the temple, don't believe it. And you know what he is really happening here? He's telling them, don't look for me somewhere physically. I want you to chew on that a little bit. Don't look for me physically in the midst of all this chaos. Don't do it. I'm already with you. 
you have the Holy Spirit. Again, we're going to get into this more tomorrow, but a lot of what transpires, and we're going to get into some real what's called apocalyptic language tomorrow. Okay, I don't want I don't want to step on that teaching a little bit because I don't want to distract distract from this here because I think that we can pull something important out of here. See. In that first century, and very similar to us, you're going to see many things rise up that look to be a replacement Jesus, all right? We already see people popping up here. And again, it's not. I would position that it's not a fulfillment of biblical prophecy when somebody in the modern day steps up and says, I'm Jesus. You know, here's the bottom line. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not. Um, but people are so desperately looking, right, and—, and Let's be honest, we don't have a widespread, deep, strong, scriptural church, okay? We have very much just had generations of taking scripture out of context, right? Just uh, taking scriptures and putting them on a calendar and hanging them up, right? But but I think what we were really establishing, and I think why the 1% here is resonating with people is because we are diving in and we're taking this one bite at a time. Okay. And when you take scripture one bite at a time in its proper context, okay, it's the, it's undeniable that you cannot just pull things out and just apply it to whatever you want. Right. We have to look at it in its original intent. And then the revelation, the divine revelation, which comes from the Holy Spirit, I'm not denying that for a second, helps to guide us in the proper application for our life. So let's wrap up this. I'm not going to go to verse 29 today. I'm going to wrap this up. It says, for as the lightning comes from the east to the west, as far uh, uh, as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, the vultures will gather. Again, Jesus being, you start to see the language change a little bit, and we're going to dive deep into this tomorrow, okay? Maybe I will talk just for a second about apocalyptic language, okay? So Jesus starts to use lots of imagery, which he has, you know, through the parables and everything like that. But what we're going to get into tomorrow is a very specific type of literary genre that you see in ancient Israel, okay? And it is so important to decipher when this pops up in Scripture, and we're seeing it about to pop up here, okay? So just to sum up this portion of the chapter, Jesus is continuing to warn them, okay? First, like we studied last time, he's warning them, flee. So he's warning them to flee, and he's warning them now, don't be drawn to looking for me physically amidst all this chaos, okay? Rely on me and the Spirit, okay? He's trying to get them. He's weaning them off and has been for some time, weaning them off to trusting the physical things of this world, trusting in the temple, trusting in the the physical aspects of the law. Now he's weaning them off of, hey, you know, don't don't believe. You have to, when I say flee, run, flee from this stuff because he's protecting them from the destruction that was about to come, okay? And what can we pull from this? 
there are going to be things in your life and people in your life that are going to want to present themselves as your savior. Maybe this is the revelation that we pull out of this today. There's the only way that we are saved. The only way that we are truly victorious and prosperous, the only way, as we have just been studying at Sound of Heaven Church, that we bear real fruit, fruit that remains, is when we abide in him and he abides in us. Okay? There's not a building that can make that happen. There's not an amount of money that can make that happen. There's not a job that can make that happen. There's not a personal relationship that can make that happen. You need a divine connection to Jesus Christ. And if you're listening to this, you probably already have it, right? You've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that he was raised from the dead. If you've done that, you have that divine connection. It's about cultivating that and trusting him in the spirit and also weaning yourself off of the reliance on the physical things in on this earth, right? You don't need anything else but Jesus. But scripture says, if we go back to Matthew chapter 6, if you trust, if you... Uh, Seek the Lord and all his righteousness. Everything else gets added to your life. So that's my call to you today. Very much like Jesus is saying, hey, when somebody says, here's your Savior, here's your Savior, unless they're pointing to Jesus on the throne of heaven, it's not your Savior. It's not going to fulfill everything that you need in your life. Jesus already did that. There's nothing that you can physically pay for that will replace what Jesus has already paid for in your life. Amen? So tomorrow we're going to get deep into the apocalyptic language. We're going to get into the sun darkening and the stars falling from the sky. A lot of scary language. and Apocalyptic language can sound that way. But through all this, I hope that you're pulling the good news out of it, realizing that you're not destined for destruction. But God doesn't want you deceived either, that there's something in this world that could ever replace him. Can't. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, help us to rely on you. Help us to seek the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us to properly place our faith where it belongs. And that's the fact that you are on the throne. That your will and your desire is for us to experience heaven here on earth. To be able to extinguish every evil, everything that seems to want to rear its head against good, against you. That we're given the authority, Lord, to be your eyes and your ears and your hands and your feet here on earth. And that's the boldness that we go into today with. That you're with us. That the whole world can point to things that seem like they could save us, but you're the only one that we should rely on. Amen. We pray that in Jesus' mighty name. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio, Sound of Heaven Church, Deer Park, New York. Check us out, soh.church. You're listening to the 1% Christian, where 100 starts with 1. Go out and be bold. God is with you today. Do something amazing for Christ's sake. I love you guys. Matthew 24 continues tomorrow.